Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture passage this morning is from Romans 6, verses 1b through 11. If you'd like to follow along from your pew Bible, it's on page 917. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to add my welcome to first-time guests. I'm smiling because I'm up here thinking about what the experience might be. For those of you who did not come from a Baptist background, I met a few ahead of time and know that some of you did not grow up Baptist. And I just imagined you looking and saying, they talked about stewardship. And then you looked at the bulletin and said, and he's about to preach on sin. Honey, I told you not to drag me into a Baptist church. (laughs) Oh, that's what I have to deal with, uh, uh, living down uh, all of the stereotypes of being a Baptist preacher. But I suppose the Baptist stereotypes are merited or they wouldn't be stereotypes, right? Uh, Melissa, my wife, you know, grew up in a Baptist church, all her life Baptist, same church, and the, the, worship, the wonderful people, warm, beautiful church, and she has warm memories of that place, but her memories of the early preaching were not quite as warm. She said all she can remember about the preacher of her earliest childhood is he was really angry and yelled a lot. And somewhere in the, in the temper and the volume, she spent her early days scared to death. Some of you are nodding, like, you might, like he might have gone from there to your congregation. I don't know. If you've, if you've watched gymnastics, Olympic gymnastics, then you know that, uh, that it's judged on two different criteria, right? There is the execution of the routine, and then also the degree of difficulty points. Well... In today's sermon, I may get failing grades on execution, 
but I want really high marks on degree of difficulty, okay? Can we at least start there? Because today, as I've already said, we've got a Baptist preacher trying to overcome stereotypes preaching on sin. And this is not the biggest hurdle to my sermon being heard by you today. The biggest challenge is that sin hardly even makes it as a modern category. Like, like polio, right? Didn't we get, aren't we about to be rid of that? I, I can remember my grandparents talking about it. It seems that the category of sin is no longer listed in the medical journals as a recognized disease. And this is true everywhere, right? I mean, it's as true in Bucksnort, Tennessee, David, as it is Buckhead, Atlanta. But it is especially difficult here, and my degree of difficulty points go up again because I'm preaching about sin in a room full of accomplished people. We're the ones who prize our presumed autonomy, master of my universe. Preaching about release from the bondage of sin might sell better in a group that is perhaps more in touch with their enslavement. But we're a group of upwardly mobile folks with tax-sheltered IRAs which makes this a tough audience for being convinced that we are fallen and sinful and in need of salvation. Two more caveats before I dive in. First, of course, as you know, we are still into sinning. I mean, we're, we, we've given up talking about it, but we haven't given up doing it, right? I mean, Sin might have gone out of fashion like men's hats, but, I mean, we're still really good at it. Next, I need to acknowledge the exception to our willingness to talk about sin, and that is that we are perfectly willing to talk about other people's sin, right? Uh, in fact, we like talking about other people's sin. That's why a lot of folks buy People magazine, so they can look at the wasteful, unabashed sins of the rich and famous, we like talking about sins of others. And notice how red-faced and worked up people will get when they're talking about a sin particularly that they have no temptation toward. I got a call, it's been several years back, it was from a TV viewer, I don't think you're watching today, uh, who was furious at me. He had been watching Second Ponce for several months, and he called to just unload on me about not preaching about sin. And I told him, and ironically, I had just, like today, I just preached on sin. And I, did you hear the sermon a couple of weeks ago? And he said, yes. But it turns out he was talking about one sin in particular that it was not for him a temptation at all, and that just got him really, really riled up. Anyway, I'm just, I'm shooting straight with you up front that the chances of anybody hearing this sermon, that, that it will actually land past the fog and noise 
and barriers I know is highly unlikely. I'm prepared to have a few folks say on the way out, I'm really glad you preached about sin today. You really told them. (laughs) But beyond that, I just don't know. Besides, I haven't even mentioned the degree of difficulty points on this. We go around our elbow to categorize our clear betrayals as anything but sin. Blunder, lapse of judgment. We're all human. I'm no worse than anybody else. We do like to grade on the curve, don't we? Well, my favorite, or or, or a favorite attempt at least, at this kind of justification, this kind of twisting and all, is is found in this uh, letter that uh, from to the church at Rome that Eddie read from a little while ago. This is one of the general epistles. We've talked about the two different kinds of letters in the New Testament canon. There is this kind of general epistle, which is, deals with general matters of faith and church, and it's intended to be read by one congregation and passed on to the next congregation so they can all be informed on matters of the faith. And then there are particular epistles that deal with a particular church's issues, uh, like the church at Corinth, uh, which just couldn't stop with the playground fights, and so they got letters particular. But in this, in, in this general epistle, the chapter we just read from is chapter 6. But in the chapter before, in the fifth chapter, Paul has been preaching about grace. God's beautiful grace. God's undeserved forgiveness and favor. Chapter 5 is this high crescendo of the wonders and majesties of grace and forgiveness. So, chapter 6, trying to do some of this twisting and justifying, begins this way. Okay, if grace is so beautiful and wonderful, maybe we should just send more. And then we get to experience more of this grace. Quoting verse 6. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? And Paul answers, by no means. And then Paul goes on to talk about what it means to live on this side of our baptism. He said the old The old self had no chance. Our old self was in bondage. We were enslaved by our own selfishness. You put two toddlers on the floor with two identical toys, which one are they going to want? Both of them, right? We're, We're instinctively selfish. And by the way, selfishness might be the best synonym I know for sin. And we feed our compulsions and addictions and betrayals and greed. And we are imprisoned by it all. Paul says that all of us are born into bondage 
to this innate selfishness. All of us living short of God's hope. And we become trapped by layer after layer after layer of this selfish living until we're just tied up in knots. And Paul calls this our old self. But then there's baptism. Oh, sure, we still sin, but a page has been turned. We've been baptized. We've tasted grace. Paul says, our old self was crucified with him. So the body of sin might be destroyed. So we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Grace is not a hall pass for more more selfish living. It's an unspeakable gift that erases the board, unbinds the shackles, liberates us to live free and clean lives again. And the language Paul puts to this is gorgeous. He says, it's so that we might walk in newness of life. And we get to taste grace when we're honest enough with ourselves to admit that the prison of our selfishness is not working anymore. And not many people have that courage. As I said, I'm not confident that an appeal to look seriously at our own sin can make it past the barriers I've mentioned. And besides that, it's unpleasant looking at the ways we betrayed one another, disappointed God, lived short of our own hopes for ourselves. When C.S. Lewis took appraisal of his own bondage to sin, this is what he said. For the first time, I examined myself And there I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. Looking at our own sin can be an ugly journey indeed. So why do it? If an audit of our sin is this painful, why not avoid it altogether? Well, that's my point. It's why we don't talk about sin anymore. It is unpleasant. And it is a hard inner journey. So we not only avoid talking about it, we avoid doing the inventory of our own lives Because we know what's down in the basement and we are hardly motivated to go down there and clean it out. Why would we? Well, Paul answers this question for us. For the chance to walk in newness of life. Our secrets have us tied up in knots. 
too little sleep and too much wine. Our secrets that we fondle in the shadows have eroded our souls. And Paul's gospel promise is this. You can reclaim your baptism. You can walk in newness of life. It's the song of grace that Paul was singing in chapter 5. God's forgiveness, God's boundless love, God's lavish grace. It's waiting. He calls it newness of life. And this is how it works. As I said, don't expect everybody's going to go here with me because it's hard. But there are some people in this room I know who are so unhappy and so tied up in knots you would do anything to feel the release of it. We get honest. We get honest about how much we have hurt other people chasing our selfishness. As the poet said, we have all been in rooms we could not die in. We admit it's not working. We ask to reclaim our baptism. We ask for another chance. We ask God to erase the board and unlock the shackles. And we ask to be forgiven. And Paul said, the result of that is newness of life. And my hunch is, I'm not the only person in the room who could benefit from that kind of good gift. Oh, but Doc, if you only knew, if you only knew how long and severe my betrayals have been, it cannot be that easy. Well, all I know is that the miracle of grace is somehow tied to this table. The paschal mystery it is sometimes called. And that somehow beyond the limits of my language, there is forgiveness mixed into that cup and that bread somehow. God's, God's undeserved forgiveness and favor. And I know that for centuries, people have come to this table in shackles and left set free. For centuries and for all over the world, people have come with their old self and walked away in newness of life. And somehow, when people come honestly to this table, they've walked away whole again. I don't fully understand it. But I am praying that miracle for those of you who are courageous enough to admit that the old self needs a new start. I hope you'll listen in the words of institution, the language of Matthew, how closely tied this table is to sin and forgiveness. As we heard the, hear the words 
that were spoken that night in the upper room. The gospel tells us that when they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. O God, grant us the courage to come open and broken and honest, to receive the gift of your grace and the chance to walk away in newness of life by the power of the victory of Christ our Lord. Amen. There is a chance that there's somebody here or online who doesn't know what we're talking about when we talk about walking on this side of our baptism and the release that is ours in the forgiveness of Christ. And anybody on this staff would welcome an opportunity to have that conversation with you and to tell you more about what the newness of life looks like when we get to live inside of this incredible gift of grace. Would you pray with me? Oh God, it feels so good to have the board erased, the shackles let go, and another chance at it. Give us the grace to walk in newness of life with a new commitment that the old self is old and that abundant life is ours through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Go now in the promise of the release that is yours through the forgiveness of Christ. Go aware that the board has been erased and you have a new shot at it. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.